Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here on a sunny day in Stoneleigh in West London. Hello, it's Richard Heller and I'm also in Stoneleigh in um, south-west London or just beyond it. And we're in Stoneleigh because we're visiting the absolutely marvellous premises of John Mackenzie, who is England's leading cricket bookseller and probably one of the world's leading cricket booksellers. And Peter, we're in an amazing place, aren't we? Describe the scene. Well, you walk down Stoneleigh High Street from the station and then you turn left. Uh, and it's just pure magic. Look, for somebody who loves cricket and cricket books, it's like walking into a sweet shop. There's a front room, lots of wisdoms and famous books and books which go were written 200 years ago. And then you go into another room uh, and there's more books, more wisdoms, lots of cricket autographs and remarkable letters. And then you go on and on and on into a maze of rooms. It's like it's like being at the home of cricket bibliography. Well, it is. And it's a great pleasure to welcome John at his home base. John, thank you very, very much for joining us. That's a pleasure. It's good. Good to see you. John, we've, we're absolutely amazed here. You've got, what, three floors of uh, cricket books and memorabilia? Yes, a sort of at least eight, eight rooms, and they're getting fuller and fuller. It's a, it's a losing battle. But uh, one time the shop was half the size it was, but I've just had to expand it too. Well, that's it's very gratifying that there's been such demand for you to to expand it, and uh, long may that continue. Um, John, can you give us a very rough count of the number of cricket books you've got here? Oh, that would be too difficult. There, there are thousands, literally thousands, but uh, I, I couldn't get closer to that. I'd say you had pretty well every cricket book. Ever oh, published? I wish, I wish. <laughs> no, there's some you never see. You know, you never see. There's, uh, but uh, at the shop, I, I keep the shop graded into very good and signed and run of the mill, you might say. So it's and it's getting easier and easier because folders, everything's allocated a place. One can find it easy enough, but the. The quantity is so big that it needs to have some system to to find these things. Well, never mind the, the <laughs> never mind the the quantity for a minute, John. Let's talk about the quality. Um, uh, you've got, I think, three treasures, particular treasures, to show us right now, yes. which go back, I think, more than two hundred years, don't they? Some do, and the others fairly recent. Which is a book by J. M. Murray called the Alahakbury Book of Broadway Cricket. And it, it's matches played by him and his uh, literary friends and so on. And this one is particularly signed by 15 or 16 of the team. So that was sort of, I think there I were think people was, like um, P.G. Woodhouse, did he not right, play? Yes, and A.A. Uh, um, uh, Milne. Do Doyle. Conan, Conan Doyle, Doyle played yeah, for that team, yeah. didn't he? All these people who, A, were good, they, they were good at everything <laughs> and wrote well. And they and. I looked through this and deciphered all the signatures and the chap Mason who wrote the play. A.E.W. Mason's signature is in that book, isn't he? And there's also wrote... a man there, I don't know who he is, but I found out he went down on the Titanic. 
it's a really array of literary people who um, were in with uh, J.M. Barry. Very, very rare book on its own, but to find it signed is very, very difficult. J.M. Barry was a great man for privately printing books, and this is one oh, of yes. wasn't he? And this is one. This is one of his, and I think what thirty-five copies or something like that. No one knows. I mean, Nobody people, knows. People what? might give it a number, but it's right. guesswork. And they've uh, all been. Yeah. And this, they've all been. And as you say, the signatures are. Oh, yeah, that, that, signatures of the participants. Yeah, yeah that immensely improves the value. Barry had to found his own cricket team. He called it the Alakberries, thinking it's supposed to be Allah Akbar, isn't it? It's yes, derived from Morocco, that. So yes, that. yes. Yeah, right. it's supposed to be. He, 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 it was supposed to be a Muslim call to have mercy on them because yeah. the team was so just <laughs> yeah, because the team was so yes. bad. Yeah, well, yes. wasn't it? That's it. Yes. And yeah. Barry once claimed that he, he Barry was a very very slow bowler. And didn't he claimed that if he he bowled so slow that if if he didn't like a delivery he reclaim it he, he <laughs> caught it up and catch it, and catch it back and, and bowl it all over again. For, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. so that's so a very rare that's item. That's a very rare book, a from Barry point of view, and such pristine condition, and also to be signed. You see, so there's. It is a rare book anyway, but but it's only in the twentieth century. Yes, so, but these two books. This one is the pre precursor of Wisden. It starts in about 1790 and kept going annually. It's, it's I just long. read out what it says here. It's called the, I mean, you're really touching his, cricket history here. Yeah. Britcher's score, 1799. Yeah. The complete list of all the grand matches of cricket that have been played in the year 1799 by Samuel Britcher, scorer. And then you go into it. I'm, I'm really hardly daring to touch the paper. <laughs> a Middlesex club versus uh, Marylebone. The Honourable C. Douglas, he's got one. He was bowled by somebody called Lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> Might be Thomas Lord. It may well have yeah. been Thomas oh. Lord. Himself. Yeah. He's play- <laughs> uh, uh, and so on. Captain Cumberland managed, uh, he was caught long, um, uh, for, for thirteen, uh, and it's quite a quite an aristocratic club, the Marylebone Club. Lord Millington played at number number five. Number five. I read mean, out, Richard, read out the scores. Uh, it's a two innings match, and look, the scores are quite significant, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah. the Middlesex club scored seventy in the first innings, with Lord uh, scoring ten, and Captain Cumberland absolutely among the wickets. His devastating bowler, and then of course the Marylebone. Club hit back with 42. Uh, in the second innings, Middlesex managed 67. The, the lethal Captain Cumberland. Uh, and then um, Marylebone Club only got 41. And it's re- regrettably um, Lord Millington got naught in the second innings. And so on. It's absolutely it's priceless. And by the way, if you, if you hear dogs in the background, there's a dog's grooming parlour next door in the high street. Uh, and they're getting quite excited about their grooming. That will probably interrupt <laughs> us a little bit. So John, this is a court just to bring in John. This, these are all. This is underarm bowling, isn't it? At this no, stage, seventeen ninety nine. Yes, it's the early days of cricket. I mean, it was. It's getting organised because you've got the MCC yes. to be established by now. But really, yeah. underarm bowling. Have they introduced the third stump by that stage? Oh, you must ask questions. I think they just about have. I think they just about have. 
But significantly, I just about, I should know that. Significantly, yeah. all virtually all the scores in there, aren't they, John? Are are, are either bold or caught, aren't they? There's very few other forms of dismissal. Yes, in there, isn't there? Aren't there? It's only a stump, stump to something like that. It's occasionally, but um, it, it's just a piece of of history. There were one time a historian said there are only thirty three known copies of every edition. Of Britcher, only thirty. It's interesting now. Britcher, Britcher produced these books. There must have been a demand for them of some kind. Well, Do you yeah. know who his public were? MCC to there. One has to congratulate them. I've got a complete set, the only complete set in existence. So that's fifteen. Say that figures nearer forty. MCC got fifteen of them, and there's twenty-five left for the rest of the world. Yeah. So they're few and far between. And and also, 1823, which is 20 years after they're printed, Lord's caught fire with up in flame. You wonder what parts of Britches were lying there when the fire took place, you see. Yes. And how much else got lost. It's, uh... In 1799, John, I think I'm right in saying, the scores were still kept by notches, weren't they? By sticks rather than by in by pencil and paper. Because Byron, when Byron yeah. played, Byron says he was proud of scoring seven notches for Harrow. Oh, really? In, I yeah. think it was eighteen oh five. So they still yes. had, they still kept them in, yeah. in notches, and presumably Mister Britcher transcribed them all into his, uh, yes, exactly. collected all yeah. those records and transcribed mm-hmm. them. And the very fact he kept it going for so long, you thought, once, twice, and then it peter out. <laughs> he kept it going for a decade. Indeed. One of the uh, things reading through this absolutely entrancing uh, book is, of course, these are betting matches. Ooh, and so well, it says course, here, yeah. you bell. know, that Middlesex, and here, for instance, an amazing match between Middlesex and Waltham I'm looking at. It's played at Lord's Grand Marylebone for 200 guineas, which is a lot of money. Mm, and a lot yes. at stake. And, and and in the first innings, uh, Middlesex scored 70. Waltham hit back with 60. Middlesex um, bowl out. You know, there's a lot at stake. Bowl them out, but get only 59 in the second innings, setting Waltham 69 to win. Waltham, I mean, imagine how exciting it must have been at the end of it. <laughs> 200 guineas at stake, which is something like 20,000 quid, I'd have thought, in today's oh. money or more. They, they struggled to 66, lose by three runs. Imagine Ooh. imagine the... Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, imagine <laughs> yeah. the excitement. Oh. And, and the gnashing of teeth at uh, 1,500 pounds disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> Middlesex were five to four on at starting, it looked All right. <laughs> and at the back of the book, it's just yeah. magical, this. They, they got the laws of cricket. Uh, full of information about what the laws are, and some of them are the same. And then the, it has a section devoting to, devoted to betting. Oh, really? Well, the laws were originally invented, weren't they, John, to to settle wages? That's, yes, that's why they had to have them, didn't they? It was uh, a certain Lambert, who was, a, was an author, was heavily involved. People were involved, and suddenly the the game got a bit murky. Mm. The game was very murky, but um, life goes on, and the game has changed out of all presumption now. Yeah. Uh, John, you've got a third treasure to show us. Okay, um, okay. now let's this, this and tell us about this, this one. Is around the beginning of the nineteenth century, you had um, eighteen oh four. It's Boxall's Rules and Instructions, 
the first ever treatise on how to play the game and published in 1804. This is amazing. This is the first rules and instructions uh, yeah. for playing. As practised, uh, it lets you know, by the most eminent <laughs> players. T. Boxall. And it, how fascinating. Yeah, it tells ch- sections on changing the bowler, how to pitch the wickets, running to bowl, holding the ball. Yes, we could all have um, done with advice in this. <laughs> yes. What is the difference between rules and instructions, Richard? Do you know? Well, the, the rules were what we would call the laws, I suppose. And the uh, instructions? instructions are how to play. I imagine would be how to play. Oh, the, yes, uh, it's how Wouldn't to they? play. Probably they use two words just to, just to make oh, sure yes. to clarify it. Yep. I'm, I'm, look, I'm just having a look uh, uh, just to see if I can work out if it says what is the difference uh, between... The instructions include, let the ground be measured exactly 22 yards. Oh, That's an instruction. Yeah. yeah. It sounds rather like the difference between the laws and the playing conditions of today. Playing mm. conditions yeah. are, are a separate section in most books. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right. Most of the book is, is devoted to the instructions, you know, which it says how to hit the ball, how to hold the ball, how to run in to bowl. The bowler may stand any distance he pleases behind the bowling crease and at the end you get the laws of cricket at the end as revised by the cricket club at Maribyrn 1800 the ball must not weigh less than five ounces and three quarters Ooh, that's heavier than today is that right yes at the beginning of each innings either party may may call for a new ball the bat must not exceed four inches and one quarter in the widest part, Richard. Is that... That's, that was done for... Um, somebody came out, wouldn't he, John, with a very, very wide bat, That's which you right. couldn't get it past, that was done for him. I think it was some much later in the 20s. Didn't Ponsford have a very thick bat? He scored runs of the game out of fashion. Mm. And so I, I think it was Ponsford. Someone took it in and checked it and found it was a millimetre too wide. Oh, no... Oh, <laughs> right. And they wouldn't, yes, that was, somebody in the late 18th century, I think I remember, had a, a bat that was as wide as the stumps and just plonked yeah. it in front of the stumps, didn't they? Yeah, Cause, because hence the middle stump became, doesn't matter, because the yeah. bat would block everything. That's right, yeah. yep. Mm. Mm. So that law, that law was brought in for him, mm. yep. yep, I imagine. Uh, and bets, the section on betting is within the laws of the game, not the instructions. I see. Yeah, if, for instance, if the bets are made upon both innings and one party beats the other in one innings, the notches in the first innings shall determine the bet. Oh, really? For instance, I mean, that's... uh, Okay. I think I understand that. What it means is if it's a tie, but it's the one who scores more in the first innings who wins. I think that's what it's saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the the, the scores, as we've just seen, they, you know, a hundred's a very good score indeed in in cricket. It was huge in those days. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you can imagine the the manservant would be asked to bat or bowl, and if he got a duck and took naught for plenty... Yeah, he would just have a job after that. <laughs> well, we like to think that uh, he might have been given a second chance. <laughs> John, three treasures you've just shown us, and um, well, all very rare. 
Tell us a little bit about how you acquired them. How did they? How did you come by them? I start, I began by being fascinated by the by the literature and, and collecting and travelling, cycling everywhere for my box. And then after a while, I found that wait a minute, I've got two of these because I bought that one. And the second one was so reasonable, better condition. I bought two. I ended up my room, my bedroom, was just chock a block with duplicates and my collection. So my mother was not best pleased. <laughs> this is when so, you were a young boy. This is, yeah, so well, young enough to cycle to Brighton or something like that, you see. <laughs> to get a book. So and this is your golden jubilee year. This is what, is it not? You've that, been in business yeah. for 50 years. Yes, that's the first catalogue. I was in business before that, but this is the 50th years of my first ever catalogue, first printed catalogue, mm-hmm. and then I've done them regularly three or four years since then. Now, I've got, I love, uh, this is uh, John, John McKenzie's uh, catalogue is a, is a real thing of uh, beauty. I, I, I've subscribed to your catalogues for ages. And as you know, I've been a regular customer of yours. I write in and say, can I buy this, that or the other? It's, it's uh, and it, it's proved, it's, it's a source of great joy uh, just to read, but also in Richard and I have written various cricket books, uh, and your books are vital for as, as a research resource as well. Yeah, and so you really are. Yeah. You, I mean, I'm hugely grateful to you. I think I bought, bought my first book from you probably when I was researching my book on Basil Dolivera. Oh goodness me! Yeah. Which I was delighted to see was on yeah. sale. It's it's, it's, that, it's somewhere back <laughs> there, did, one uh, of those rooms. There certainly is. Yes, yes. and. Uh, and Richard and Richard. I, my book with Richard, White on Green, that's there. Oh, Do yeah. you see yes, Richard? Yes, yes. Yep. caught that. Yes. Saw that. Yes. Yep. Well, it, 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 of course it would be there. I mean, you've got every book, as we said earlier, you've got practically every book ever. We think you've oh, got every book. Oh, I know. <laughs> we believe, you've, yeah. in spite of your disclaimers, John, <laughs> yes. we believe you've got every book ever published. Oh, I, certainly I, in this country. I yep. promise you, I'll, I'll be the first to say if I did. Yep. But there's no chance of that. Right. There's... The modern ones, I've got eight or ten copies of them, but they are they overprint them and there are too many of them. And then as you work back to 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 this sort of age where it's all handset and you know, it's on. He's no. just pointed there at the um, oh, the, 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 the rules and instructions of the game yes. published in eighteen oh five, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, so you know, there's, there's, there weren't machineries to um, print off books and on mass, you know. No. So. And there are now many more cricket books published, even in the since you started, John, oh. fifty years ago. The, the a great number more cricket books published, absolutely, in the yes. modern conditions, aren't yes. there? Oh, there are. Um, I, I must put my hand up. I've, I've joined that myself. I've, I've published over fifty or sixty books myself. You, you, you're a publisher too. I do. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I just did. Uh, Books that were either so rare, when I got them, I thought, no, I'll never get this again, and, and you'd, I would reprint it. John Arlott would often write an introduction for me, and uh, I was an introduction by John Arlott, and this rare book would be available, published by myself. And then gradually I got into meeting people who knew Gary Sober's early life, or Tony Cozier, his last ever book, he wrote on Everton Weeks, mm. you know. And so then I started publishing new material as well. So, just, so you're publishing brand new titles as well as, re, as, well as reprints. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 
I'm worried if we say that, John, that you're going to get deluged with manuscripts and <laughs> and, and proposals. It won't. So you don't, and you you don't want you you commission you commission the new title. Is basically you commission the new titles that you publish. Uh, yeah, very much so. Yes, I mean there's one on on go at the moment. Is a biography of Wes Hall, be written by a, a man I know and. Uh, Who's who's writing is? I, I think I a man called Paul Aykroyd. Paul Aykroyd. Yes. Yeah. I know. I don't know, but Wes Hall is well overdue. Is uh, it? He's, he's only had a ghosted one in the sixties yeah, when he came, yes. and since then he's been a man of the cloth. He's been a cricketer. He's been a politician. I once had the enormous privilege of of meeting and interviewing Wes. What a great man! You had yeah. there's a. Lovely picture in here, John. Of uh, oh, yes. somewhere to hand. Have you got it to hand? There's a very nice picture of you meeting Wes Hall and well, some West Indian greats in there, isn't that Sir Everton? So you're, there, are you, there you are with uh, in a, what there's, looks. That's where Mr. Hall still looking imposing, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, massive man. And that wonderful was Tony, man. That's Tony Cozier, the great Tony commentator, and even greater. There is a certain Sir Garfield Sobers, Richard. Yeah. Richard is the, one of the world's experts on his... Um, <laughs> when, when Richard met uh, uh, Sir Garfield uh, uh, 20 years ago, he knew more about Sir Gar Gary Sober's <laughs> career than Gary himself could remember. Well, I was, I, he was my special subject in Mastermind, <laughs> Gary Sober's, that? yes. And he actually knew... He, 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 it's wonderful talking to him. He was tickled pink to be a special subject. <laughs> but he actually had no memory... For you know times and places for the actual factual details, only the sort of sensations of scoring, as it might be the six sixes. Uh, at, uh, at even a hundred wouldn't be a sensation to him. Oh, well, I've done that no, before. Oh, yeah. no. I had the same experience when I interviewing when talking to Basil Oliveira when I wrote my book oh. about Basil. The first time I met him, I was telling him things that she'd completely forgotten about. Really? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, especially you're that good. Whichever, you know, uh, both, both were very good. Oh, you know, glorious. You, I'm sorry, you're just going to forget. It's just going to become yeah. a way of life. I tell, you, you know, I tell him that, you know, Sober's got you LBW, you know, in the second test at Lords or something. And, yeah. and he just couldn't remember that. But well, I yeah. could, because yeah. it hurt me at the time, basically, that Basil was out. Yes. Yeah. Although if, um, I always think afterwards, if I had had this, if you and I had had the same experience, and perhaps we're going to have it later on, I hope, Invite him onto the podcast, but if we have the same, we'd had the same experience with Jeff Boycott. I'm sure Jeff Boycott could tell us every ball he'd faced in his career. <laughs> yes, we are very. We are trying to get Jeffrey on. Oh, you should. Uh, he, he ordered a couple of books from me, and we got chatting. And so happened. This is about ninety-eight or ninety-nine. I said, "I'm going to take a holiday. I'm going to go see England in West Indies." I think Atherton's captain. And of course, he's with the Sky Team or whatever. Yes, I'm going over. So we met a very nice hotel. Let's have lunch. And I just chatted, just so nice to be with him. And he, I said to him, you ruined my day in 1964. Being a sorry man, you, Mickey Stewart put you in. He got 146. And we sorry, we're blown away. Yeah, 
and he I said I said you got 128 or 140 he said 161 again but he gave me the actual figure <laughs> yeah, oh, he was, of course yes yeah. 1964 right, by the way the, yeah. the the new book with John Hopkins and Jeffrey is fantastic. It's a collaboration. Oh, I've got that. It's very good. It's it's retrospective, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a very really works. You've got Hoffman doing his commentary and Jeffrey saying what it was like, you know, oh, and, right. and it. Hoffman, it's just a brilliant idea, which is very hard to pull off. I ever thought, and it just they made it click, oh, they? I, yeah. definitely. Yeah, very good title. Yeah. So you've had the enormous privilege of uh, of meeting uh, Sir Jeffrey Boycott. Through this shop, who, who are the other great figures you've known or interesting people? Um, the most famous must be uh, Sir John Bradman, because yeah. I, I produced in seventy nine. In seventy nine, I produced a ceramic a hundred uh, Bradman's hundred centuries. Yeah, and went up to Stafford for being done by Coalport, mm. and somehow someone, the guy who was doing it with me. I found a lady Bradman's in the country, and she'd be happy to come along for the launch. So Lady Bradman came along, and it was fascinating. I didn't obviously everyone was talking to her, but then I was resigned to staying up up in Stafford. And this guy comes to me and says, "I'm late. I'm taking Lady Bradman back to London. Mm-hmm. She wants a lift. You try to stop me. <laughs> I had two hours. He was just driving, and uh, and she was telling me how frightened she'd been during body line." For Don's safe day, for his safe day, and yeah, it was fascinating. I've got a photograph. I didn't brush it. But it's at home when when she got she was presented with a plate actually, and she made the fatal mistake and said, "If ever you're in Australia, come over." So about six years later, I dropped the line, and yep. uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you. Oh, I used to go quite regularly at that time. To Australia was a good part to find new stock. Yes. Know? And uh, there. But one occasion when I met Sir Donald Lady Bradman, then I went to Sydney and met Bill O'Reilly. And then next, maybe the next trip, an Australian friend of mine made a phone call and he said, I've just spoken to Ponsford, who was 91. Wow. Oh, Ponsford. Mm. His daughter, I think, his daughter. He's 90, 91 at the time. And she says, is, but this Australian friend said he had two English guys love their cricket. And uh, she, he said, I spoke to the daughter. And the daughter said, bring me a barbie tomorrow. Bring them all over. <laughs> so I've got a picture of myself with the Ponsford's 1926 scrapbook. Oh, and wonderful. he's looking bored out of his brain. He wanted to get out. <laughs> get back to the barbie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yes, it's just pure fluke, and uh, like the, on the occasion with that photograph when Tony Cozier came in, yes. and we got talking and we're discussing where come out to New Zealand and we'll come out to West Indies and we'll uh, do a series of books. Unfortunately, he died. So oh. we're such a to... lovely yes. voice, and he had such a was, beautiful yeah. mind. Yes. Tony Cozier was, I think, one priceless as a commentator. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was heard from someone that he was behind that horrendous wind up by when Lamb and Botham were talking about, about uh, Legover. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
uh, having a joke, and they could not stop laughing. Oh, they could not stop laughing. And, uh, and apparently, Cozier was at the back of the commentary box. All it took for him, what had got this fit of giggles, was to take over. But they'd taken the mickey out of him before, so he said, right. <laughs> so it was revenge. And it was revenge. Apparently, once, when Cozier was about to go on, one of, one of, the, one of the two had said to uh, you're on now, and can you give them all the full stats of the, of the West, um, West Indian players? Coach, I haven't got any, you know. <laughs> but it turns out it's just a complete wind-up. Right. And this is payback time. Okay, <laughs> yes. So they were, yeah, so they were, they, they, were, they, they were collapsed, yes. Yeah, exactly. Were, as, as in theatre terms, they were corpsed. <laughs> they were corpsed. John, I think you also had a meeting, think of Bradman and Ponsford. You had a meeting with their great adversary, Harold Larwood. I did indeed, yes, the poor man. Um, I'd run out to make an appointment with his wife. He wife said, yes, no trouble, come along, it's a Sunday. So I bowled up there, and uh, there he is out in the garden, and look at the number, yes it is. And uh, he looks at me, and he's, what are you, would you ever leave me alone? I'm just so embarrassed, I'm just, no, okay, I'm going, I'm going. And I had a a cake or something that I brought just to, for something, or I could buy on Sunday. And I said, Look, have that, I, I won't keep you. And I left. And then he changed his mind and called me back. Oh. And then he couldn't stop talking. He didn't, oh, nice. Especially yeah. about his 98, and ev- he didn't know a bad word about Jardim. Not everybody will know about the 90. Richard, the 98 by Larwood was. In, it was a test match, wasn't it? It was. It was during the Bodyline series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was sent in as a night watchman. He was very. He was didn't. He was quite angry about being sent in as a night watchman. He did oh, a very. Okay. He did a very hard shift of bowling oh, okay. for Douglas Jardine. Jardine sent him in as a night watchman. He was so angry he started whacking the ball all over the place. Must the Australians must be having been having yes. having tried to knock their head off. <laughs> he then comes in and scores. What, what made him? John, I think. What we, we, if I remember rightly, he was um, he got to ninety eight. Finally, he's in sight of a century, a very rare century. Um, although he's a pretty good batsman in county cricket, but he's in sight of a test century. And what made him even more furious is he's he was caught by one of the worst fielders, oh, of all, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, of course, he's yes. caught by one of the worst fielders of all time <laughs> in that? cricket history. Well, do you want but, but I'm younger. Ironmonger. Yes, he was quite, a, quite, a, quite an age when he started, wasn't he? But Ironmonger uh, was one of the oldest test debutants, yeah. wasn't he? He was, about, he was in his late 40s when he began test cricket. And I think and, he was about not fit. the most agile, I think. Not at all. He, was, he had a terrible pair of yeah. hands and he couldn't bat to save his life. He was a very good slow left-arm bowler. Uh, enough to get into the test side. Yeah. And his fielding was absolutely terrible. Oh, and there was, no. yeah. there was absolutely massive applause. He never mentioned that. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm he glad. never said that. But yeah. there's massive applause. But the, not so much for Law, it might have been for Larwood's 98, but it was more likely to be for Ironmonger <laughs> taking a catch at last, yeah. breaking the habit of a lifetime. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, goodness yeah. me, yes. Oh, no, I mean, I've been quite fortunate. I mean, in one of my early jobs after leaving school, in Surbiton they got this wood yard, and uh, I wasn't the best timber merchant. Mm. So, eventually, out of embarrassment, they moved me to their Cobham branch. They just really tried to get a shot at me. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how I got to Cobham, but I got to Cobham, and I found out just 
half an hour, ten minutes walk away, was a, a guy played in 1924 for England. So I used to spend my lunch times walking around to his house, introduce myself, and say, come back every next time. He's a guy called uh, amateur, obviously, G.E.C. Wood. Oh. Yeah, with G.E.C. as uh, three initials. Yeah. Yes. Played in 1924 against South Africa, who in those days I was still uh, uh, interested in. Yes. <laughs> and um, he got, in 1924, Tate and Gilligan bowled South Africa out to 30. Right. And our wicketkeeper, Mr. Wood, let 11 extras. Oops. Top scorer. <laughs> Could have been 19 all out, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right. So Mr. Wood was the wicketkeeper. He's the one. Well, yeah. Amateur oh, wicketkeeper. I saw his hands were just gnarled and bent. Right. Because he's no youngster, but it was just, they had no. Same as the other crews of that era, I imagine. They just didn't have the protections they get nowadays. Oh, no. And they were expected to stand up. Yeah, to, I think they're, they're, they're right. I think they're expected to stand up to Morris Tate, who's a far you know most yeah. people would stand back to now is fast medium, yeah, and, and he's doing something, and, and he yeah. did a lot to it. But he got Tate got quite a lot of stumpings because the keeper was expected, oh, as I remember, yeah. he, he, the keeper was expected to stand up to him and take stumpings yeah. with those flim, you know, with wicket keeping gloves. Wouldn't not what they would now, would you? you wouldn't, yeah. would you? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. It's a, just for a pure fluke, I met this, this, this guy. And I remember once I was in South Africa, mm-hmm. and I was on a boat just taking an hour or two off. And I could talk to this guy. Yeah, I used to play first-class cricket. Nah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a chap called Reddick. Right. Reddick. And he was a member of Sir Julian Khan's team. Oh, no. Really? He played, may have played for Nottingham a few times. And I didn't even think of asking his autograph in those days. Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. Just you, you, you meet people all along the way, you know. You do. But very seldom do they come to the shop. It's surprising. Cricketers. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever get, do cricketers try and sell them memorabilia through you uh, at all? Occasionally. Occasionally. Yes. Occasionally. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. But very uh, things like uh, someone's blazer or someone's cap. Right. Uh, wouldn't be my line, really. You know, no. So, but books, they don't... Generally, they play the games, they don't read about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't, yes. You don't... You, they don't sell remaindered copies of their books. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to... There are quite a few remainders. I, I there would be. It's all. Yeah. Uh, you're, I think, the longest-running advertiser in Wisdom, aren't you? That's true. Have yes, they, can, have they, you've you've yeah. advertised in it every single year for the since, last 50 years. Not every single year. Is that right? <laughs> since, since, since. No, since. Yes, yeah, since, uh, yeah, since. 64, I wasn't here. And, and can, I think. You, you uh, can raise your back to the pavilion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to nearest I'll get to 50, that's for sure. <laughs> John, do people um, come in and offer you stock? Sort of. Um, do people offer you books well, and, well, and, and talk very, very quite, much, quite yes. often? Just walk in and, and with a sometimes walk in, <coughs> but more often more of them by write post. to me. Oh, I've, right I've, I've, yeah. I've got a collection from a <coughs> disease relative, whatever it is, and then I say, please, have you got a list of them? Because I don't want them to come from wherever it is and find that they're, they're all ones I've got 101 copies of. I yeah. don't need any more. So it's it's a, it's a thin sum when they just mention two or three titles. You're thinking. Those those sound interesting, mm. 
and but otherwise people say they can't just bring them along if they're if they're not worth anything I'll leave them behind. That's oh, the thing. Oh, yes. Right. So you get even. So you. No, 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 I'll be honest. I'll, I'll tell them which ones I've had. Okay. Them, but uh, yep. the ones they leave behind, the ones that I'll put a box up the front front of the shop. You saw. <laughs> Right. For that reason, you see. So your advice to listeners, I mean, if listeners suddenly come across um, um, a set of cricket books or they're, they're searching yeah. in an attic or they're dealing with perhaps a relative who's recently passed away with a lot of cricket yes. books, the, your That's advice to them is to write to you first. Should do, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yes. But a strange thing happened, I completely forgot about this, about a year, 18 months ago, a guy rang me up, he said he's a health clearance man. And um, he'd put God the Wisdoms. Now, you heard that they have a value, would have interested. So, yes, bring them round. He's only in Worcester Park, the next road along. Mm. Comes around with his Wisdoms. Uh, well, st- stacks of them, stacks of them. Right back to the 1890s, 1880s. So, this is worth a bit of money, this is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And as I was opening them, the. Um, I saw they had my code inside. I was code book telling yes. me how much I paid for mm. it. I bought that in 1981, you know, and sold it to this man whose house has been cleared and they come all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> Small world. Amazing. Yeah. How much is a set of wisdoms these days? I, uh, you can't really say. The um, prices were very high at one time. They've They've eased up a bit, mm-hmm. just like any stocks and shares or like that. Yeah. It's just they do go up and down. So I would not say what a set's worth. It's um, I, mean, I sell them individually usually. You see, mm-hmm. there are I've sold three or four sets, including Pelham Warner's set. Pelham Warner's set, set of wisdoms. Yes. wisdoms. Yes. It, was, it was superbly bound. It was given to him in 1903, I think it was, when he got married. <laughs> As a wedding present, mm-hmm. and they turned up at auction. In those days, they were making about twenty grand or something like that. You see, so, and it didn't sell. No one took it, so mm-hmm. I made them an offer, and uh, I ended up with them. Was guy, that when he died, or something like that, when Pelham Warner died? This be long. No, this, he died about sixties, um, didn't he? In the sixties, I think. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm talking more like mid seventies. Maybe mid eighties. Yeah, the third Pelamore was set up. They must have come out of the family. Yeah, and went into there, and then uh, the guy I bet she had. I bought the set, and then I sold it to to another customer, and it reappeared on the market. They were all handsomely bound with his initials on the back, and must have cost a fortune. Complete set, everyone. But and this guy had torn them all up. And he sold them off individually. He stuck them into auction individually. What? Oh, no. It's disgraceful. It's heritage. You know, that is part of a story of cricket, isn't it? Well, Pelham Warner is one of the most uh, intriguing figures, isn't he, in mm. the history of the game of cricket. Richard, your memory is always better than mine. He's an intriguing figure. His reputation, that shall we say, historically, has gone up and down. <laughs> you know. Um, Very tactful. You know, to, put it, to put it tactfully, he's... Um, he's Leadership in the Bodyline Tour is not um, generally now regarded. No. He, he was point. manager, was he? was manager, yeah. and he just tried to please everybody, hmm. basically. And he didn't like what Jardine was doing. He didn't like the tactics, but he didn't but stop he didn't, Jardine. Couldn't stop him. Couldn't yeah. stop him, yes. Didn't have the oomph to stop him, really, no. did he? No, did but, he? 
I and think he, the other thing about him, which was so interesting, was you know he he was a journalist, wasn't uh, simultaneously. Yeah. Oh yeah, he wrote books after book after book, didn't yeah. he? But this created a certain amount of um, conflict of interest. I seem to remember. Well, he was still writing about. Yes, yeah. he was still the, the still the Morning Post in those days. He was still the Morning Post cricket correspondent. I think as manager of. England yeah. party in Australia. <laughs> During <laughs> body line. <laughs> During yeah. body line. England players were not allowed. Obviously, the players under him were not, you know, were, were not allowed and were disciplined for, um, you know, for venturing into journalism. But the manager was a yeah, uh, himself. Yeah, yeah, yes. And also, of course, what really made his reputation <laughs> was the, the last war, the Second World War. Yeah. Yeah. He... Uh, Patty ran Lord single handed, kept oh, yes. matches going, and he, he was the voice of cricket. You know, he just kept cricket going. Yes. And he said it was vital for national morale. He said it would, didn't he? Uh, made a, yeah. I can't remember the exact quote, but he said it would be a, yeah. a terrible coup for Goebbels if they. It would be a great gift for Goebbels if he could say that cricket had stopped mm. at Lord's. So he kept it going. He kept it going. There were wartime matches. There were charity matches between the service. There were matches between the services. Yeah, yeah, Um, of course. There was cricket played every year at Lords, culminating in the victory, the famous victory test of Keith Miller and. That's uh, right. Miller got a big, big score. He nearly hit the ball over the ground. Apparently, yes. uh, And they they narrowly escaped a flying bomb. In the, um, didn't they? Didn't they? There is, there, isn't there? Yes. They all they they yes, they just missed and landed on Albert Road. Yeah, 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 really. in 19, that would have been in 1944. Yeah. 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 So it's in the 44 and 45. Isn't it? Yes. They're all famous pictures. Yeah. Mm. John, um, you've acquired and dealt with so many um, wonderful titles here, but is there, a, is there a book or title you're sorry you didn't acquire? Is there one that got away? What particularly is the one that got away? You're going to upset me for days now, you know. But when I was uh, just beyond my woodyard, I was uh, in my my first bookshop, I got very friendly with another collector. And he had a complete set of Wisdom's originals. I can't remember if they got wrappers or not. And he said, look, I'm deciding to get rid of my collection. Trying to get rid of it. You could have this set of, not have, you can buy my set of Wistons, two hundred pounds. <laughs> Mum, Dad, anything I could, I could I raise it? Eventually, I went back to him. He said, "No, I sold it somewhere else." Oh, tra- yeah. yeah, that's that's a tragedy. Reminds <laughs> me of my two hundred pounds is a lot of money. Oh, no, in those no, no, days. No, no, no. Yes, yeah. even but even lying for inflation. Uh, since oh, then, it, they must be. Yeah. They they'd have they'd have outperformed inflation, wouldn't they? Oh, oh, by a long, long way, wouldn't they? You know, yeah. yes. But also, Western's always come back in hard, original hardbacks since 1896. Original hardbacks, far fewer, because it's more expensive, far fewer produced. Mostly they come out in these paperbacks, which very often disintegrate, you see. And I was doing one of my cycle trips around Surrey, and I stopped it somewhere in Croydon, and just wondering, usual, any cricket book, tricky to say no. He said, oh, we've got those Wistons up there. And there's an 1896 to whatever, 65, whatever year I was there. I went there. All original hardbacks. And again, Mum, Dad, can you lend me? <laughs> no oh. way. <laughs> and I missed them as well. Oh. And years later, when I was a dealer by then, 
I got talking to a customer and he said, I heard you went to that bookshop in Croydon for that instance. I'm surprised you didn't take them. I couldn't afford them. <laughs> and he said, I, I bought them. And yep. he sold them for about, oh, an arm and a leg. Yeah. Oh, right. so it reminds me of a friend, friend of mine. His grandfather was living in Paris in the 1920s. And he was a great friend of a painter called Modigliani. Modigliani. Uh, and Modigliani was dying. Huh? And offered my friend's grandfather the something like 5,000 francs or something. I mean, a few thousand pounds. Uh, and he rang up his father. Said the same thing. No, of course you can't. <laughs> he was he, he, he was offered the whole studio. Oh, I mean, they'd be worth hundreds of millions. Think about it. Yes. Yes. Anyway, this is the first time I brought my story back to life. Oh, but on a, well, on a happier note, why don't you ask John yeah. for his? Yeah. Well, yeah. one other thing. I mean, what is your after a long life of very rich life with cricket books? What's your favourite book? Uh, can I say a favourite a favourite incident? Yes. We were looking at that Britcher. Yes, yes, indeed. Here it is. Yeah. And um, I went up to London for an auction. There's a 1770 Laws of Cricket. Mm. And estimate of about 70 to 100 pounds on it. I thought, well, that's, that is rare. Mm. And I went to the Sotheby's, you sit through to lot 212, whatever mm. it was. And I start bidding. And there was a very affluent man at the time. And I ended up no chance. See, whatever I bid, he was just going to go up. And I came back. What a waste of a day. And I didn't get this book that was estimated 100 or 200, but went for over 2,000. Mm. See, I, uh, so I, I was not happy. Came back in, and the, the phone rings. And I get put through. And this guy on the phone says, um, I've got a book here. It's, uh, it contains... Seven or eight britches. Are they any good? I said, he, he knew they were good. He'd uh, take them to another dealer. Oh, am I interested? So, uh, yes, bring them round. I want to see them. One of them was completely incomplete. I've just got them the back as a, as a souvenir. And then, well, this wasn't, this I had already, you see. Mm. Uh, but um, he had seven or eight all bound into one book. Yeah? Well, um, it's one of these things you're not going to see again and on the down of my morning and not by this thing yes I made him such a good offer that uh, he took it oh wonderful so you acquired yeah. this unique so set that's yes right. this, this historian said there were 33 britches right and now actually 44 now or 40, 41 right <laughs> that'd be a say these were eight unrecorded britches. Eight I, unrecorded britches. So far, they knew there were three yeah. of that and two of that and one of that. Now they add one and one and one. You see, cause okay. These were eight different britches. So, so new, so, so the, we don't even know how many there were. So the new britches come come to light occasionally. No, 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 no they've no. all been they've all, all, they've they've all been identified now. Being recirculated. Oh, I see. Yeah. All right. Okay. So this figure of thirty three, which goes back to the nineteen sixties, by the historian Bowen, hmm. uh, was increased by eight. To ignore the incomplete one, and so suddenly at the point where it's never been increased again. I'm not sure that's the end. But it's 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 one of the joys of this life. It never never around the corner. 
Wonderful. Yep. Just to hold this book, Britcher's School, seventeen ninety nine, and yeah. the world of you think it's the French Revolution times, isn't it? Yeah, seventeen ninety nine. Seventeen ninety nine. Napoleon took power for the first time. Look at that. He, he over, yeah. That's just to put it in perspective. Yeah, Napoleon. Yeah. Napoleon launched his return from Egypt, just launched his coup days. against yeah. the, launched his coup and took power as first consul. Yeah. yeah. Before he even became emperor. Yeah. Yeah. The younger really Pitts yeah. was Prime Minister. Yeah. And, and as this guy says, I, I, I love by these words, there were 400 or 300 books published that year. Why should one be a cricket book of scores? That, uh, it's, it's a fledging game. No one's interested in cricket. But one of 400 total should be a cricket book. So, 400 books published in 1799, of which one, one. isn't that amazing, is a cricket, cricket book. But it is true, though, that, I mean, there was a cricket team about to go to France at the French Revolution in yeah, 1789. Yeah, you'd have got as far as Folkestone and so yeah, on, yeah. Uh, not about the yeah. terror of the war or whatever. The Duke, of, but, Duke of Dorset was going to lead it. He was. Yeah, yes. that's, yeah, wasn't he? He, yeah. he appears. Then he realised yeah. he got there first, actually, ahead of the team. But then he, um, then the French Revolution broke out and he reckoned it probably wasn't a great place to be if you were a duke so he, he, <laughs> <laughs> he laid it back <laughs> he was quick on the uptake <laughs> <laughs> yes Although the, the French Revolution was not a terribly big deal when it began I mean there's Louis the 16th put a famous entry into his diary when the Bastille fell it just said rien <laughs> nothing happened today <laughs> nothing happened today because he couldn't go out hunting it was a wet day oh, yes <laughs> I really loved this conversation. It was just such a insight into what the wonderful life and wonderful world you've lived in, sitting in this room surrounded by all of the rarest and most wonderful and uh, cricket books in the world and so many wisdoms uh, and hearing yeah. your fantastic stories. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, it's goodbye for me, Peter O'Born, in this heavenly bookshop in southwest London. Goodbye from me, Richard Heller. Indeed, a heavenly place to which we may very, very well return. Thank Richard, you again, John. Thank you very much. Thank you.